we started a new series, O Come, Let Us Adore Him. And as a part of that series, I began with this question, and I'm going to ask you again this morning, do you genuinely and truly adore Jesus? Do you adore him? And when I ask that question, what I mean is deep down inside of you are the affections of your heart set on Christ Jesus, your Lord. Can you honestly say with integrity this morning that you love the Lord Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind? I don't want you to confuse the word adoration with infatuation, okay? Infatuation is short-lived, okay? It's, it, it fades away. It's a short-lived passion for something or a short-lived admiration for someone. But adoration is a lifestyle. It's a way of worship, quite frankly. So the question on the table today is, do you sincerely and genuinely adore the one true God? Well, this morning, we get a chance to set our affections in motion because we're going to reflect on the gift of God's grace, and then we get a chance to respond to God's grace through a giving of our own. Some of you know that for the past two weeks, we've been talking about Be the Movement. You received the big card as you walked in the door today about Be the Movement. And one of the things we're going to challenge you to do as your heart and your mind and your soul are set on the Lord Jesus Christ is to consider giving above and beyond your regular gifts so that we can accelerate not only ministries here at the church, but also use these dollars to do mission outside of our walls. And we've told you over the past two weeks that these different things, or the things that we've been able to do over the past year have really been cool to, to watch and to witness and to be a part of. In fact, we may still have a team that's in London today. I know we sent one this week. Um, but that's a new place that we were able to go because of your faithful generosity. And in addition to going to London, we went to Southeast Asia. We went to Puerto Rico again. We went to Oaxaca, Mexico. We went to Nashville, Tennessee. We've gone to San Diego. We've gone to Miami. Like We've had all of these different places that we've been able to go to take the gospel to people that we haven't had access to prior to the end of last year. And what we want to do is continue to accelerate that. So today, you're not only going to hear about the gift of God's grace, but you're going to get a chance to reflect on that and to respond to it, even with a giving of your own. Church, if there's one singular focus that I think I would have you to focus on today, and that is this, okay? It's our greatest need in our lives is the gift of God's grace. There is nothing that you need greater than the grace of God and some of you might think that I'm talking in terms of salvation there. I am. That you need the gift of God's grace so that you might know Jesus personally. But even as a child of God, we never grow beyond our need for his grace. Every single day, every single minute, you and I are people who are needy of the gift of God's grace. We're going to read Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 through 8. This is a text that I absolutely love. In fact, every time I come into contact with this text of Scripture, the Lord convicts me and challenges me. This is a text of Scripture that I believe us as a church will frequent often simply because it serves as a great reminder of who we are apart from God, who we are now that we're in God in Christ Jesus, and who we ought to be as a result of Jesus' grace being extended to us. So Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says this. The Lord saw... 
that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I want you to spend a minute and reflect on verse 6 where it says this. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. The Lord regretted that he made you, that he made me, that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to, these heart, or to his heart. Listen, when you read these words this morning, these words are deeply personal. These words didn't only apply to Adam and Eve and their descendants. Like These words actually apply to you, and they apply to me. When you read these words, it's literally like someone is ripping your heart out of your chest. Have you ever had a child that looked you square in the eyes and said, Mommy, I hate you. And you know that that child is speaking out of emotion and speaking foolishly, but that doesn't make it feel any better, does it? It feels like after you've given labor to that child, you've put food on that child's table, you've put that child in a home with shelter over his head, everything that that child has ever needed, you've provided, it feels like your heart is ripped right out of your chest when that child utters those words to you. You ever had a friend that said they would have been better off if you had never been brought into their life? A friend that maybe had said, you are dead to me. It doesn't matter what that friend has done to you or what you've done to that friend and all the things you've gone through, the highs and the lows. At that moment when that friend utters those words, it feels like your heart is ripped right out of your chest. Have you ever been in a relationship? A relationship that got so heightened in emotions when you were arguing or fighting that one said to another, I wish I had never met you and you were never in my life. Again, it feels, those are words that feel like your heart is ripped right out of your chest. And here God is saying that the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. That's the feeling that we should be feeling this morning. It's like our hearts are ripped right out of our chest. The question on the table is why would God feel this kind of regret? I mean, what thing could you have done or I have done or humanity? What thing could we have done that caused God this great regret? What would trouble the heart of God so badly that he would say this about me, that he would say this about you? What personal offense have we committed that's so significant that the Bible says it grieves the very heart of God. Well, the answer is found in verse 5. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was so great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
In other words, every single place that the eyes of God would look, all he would encounter was wickedness. He couldn't find one righteous person. Everyone he looked at caused regret and grief in his heart because of their wickedness in their heart. Man and woman who were created to love him, who were created to adore him, have started to grieve the very heart of God. There are three truths, I believe, in this text of Scripture that I do not want to escape us, that I think we need to set our sights on so that we can walk away being the men and the women that God has called us to be, men and women, namely, that love and adore him and him alone. The first thing that I want you to see this morning is this. You and I, we were created to love and adore God. That's what we're created for. You were created by God, but you were also created for God. We were created to love and to adore God. In other words, you have a purpose on this earth. I have a purpose on this earth. We have a purpose congregationally, we have a purpose as a family, but we also have a purpose as individuals. That purpose is to love and to adore God. You exist on this earth, not so that you can be the most popular person on the earth. You exist on this earth, not so that you can make the best grades. You exist on this earth, not so that you can be the best athlete. You exist on this earth, not so that you can climb the corporate ladder and make more money so that you can do more things. You exist on this earth for one singular purpose, and that is to love and to adore God. See, the truth of Scripture is this, is that when we love and adore God, it produces in us a life that is lived for him. Have you ever heard it? You might have heard it said like this. It's only when you behold God that you can start becoming like him. Becoming like God begins with beholding who he is and who he is in your life. The same thing is true. When you begin to love and adore God, that's what produces in you a life that's lived for him. John says it this way in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, what? You'll obey my commands. Your love for me is what produces your obedience to me. See, obedience is not a submission to abstract rules. Obedience is not a submission to abstract laws. Obedience is rooted instead in a love for God. Your love for God shapes your living for God. That's how I want that plane to land this morning. As you begin to love him, you'll begin to live for him. See, when you love God, every thought and every motive Every choice and every decision, every word that comes out of your mouth and every action that you commit, it will begin to be shaped by the God that you love. This is who we were created to be, church family. We were created to be men and women. We were created to be a church that loves and adores God. See, we recognize him as the God of the universe. Almost every one of us will say that's emphatically true. He is God, he sits on the throne, he's the one who created the world and everything in it, he's the God of the universe. In fact, majority of us in this room, we would accept his authority over our lives. We would say because he's God, he should have authority over our lives. We would all admit that. In fact, we understand his splendor. We understand his majesty. And we're not afraid to admit that he is master and Lord over all. And then, in an act of deeply personal and deeply relational love, 
We ought to choose to honor him and adore him and serve him with our time and with our treasure and even with our talents. Why? Because if he truly is the things that we say he's, he is, then that requires something out of us. It means our lives don't, and don't, 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 don't belong to us at all. It means our lives belong to him. And the purpose of the life that he has given me is to love him and to endure him, or not to endure him, sorry, to adore him in everything that we do. Let me say it like this. I love my wife. And because I love my wife, I want her to be honored. I want her to be adored. I want her to feel that love. And some of you, you know what this is like. You have grandkids. And the pride of your heart is the grandchildren that the Lord has brought into your life. You want those grandchildren to be honored. That's why you carry pictures around on your phone and in your wallet and you're not afraid to show them off. If someone goes to your Facebook page, it is flooded with, with grandkid pictures. Um, you want people to see the pride of your life. You want them to know that this is who you love, that this is who you adore. And because you love those kids and because I love my wife, I want to spend time with her. There would be something drastically wrong if I said, you know what, I at least need three days out of every week away from you, Kayla. One, that wouldn't work, right? And two, that does not, that's not a very good expression of my love for her. But yet we, we think that's acceptable in our relationship with God. We say, oh, I love him, I adore him, I just need three days away from him. I mean, I don't need to spend time with him every day. I'm so busy, I just can't make time for you today. I mean, imagine if I said that to Kayla, it's Christmas, it's busy, I gotta get gifts, I gotta get stuff, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. So for the next two weeks, you're not gonna see me, I'm probably not even gonna come home. It's not gonna work well. And it wouldn't work well because the actions that I am, I am portraying to her aren't matching the words that I'm communicating. And the same thing is true for many of us when we say that we love and adore God, we just don't spend any time with him, we don't make time for him, and quite frankly, we use every excuse we can to try to avoid him at all costs. That's not loving and adoring to God. Instead, pleasing my wife is what brings me joy. I find joy when she, is, when she lives her life in joy. And the same thing is true with God. When we honor him, when we please him, when we bring him joy, that should be the delight of our heart. So you were created for this. You were created to love and adore God. But there's a problem, church family. And that's the second thing I want you to see in this text. The problem is that when we were created to love and adore God, you and I, what we do is we chase other lovers. We chase other lovers. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is the tragedy here in this text of scripture that when you were created to love God, church family, instead of loving him, instead of adoring him, what you and I chose to do is we chose to chase other lovers. See, if the love of man is no longer directed to God, then some other lover must have claimed that man's heart. We see this in this verse. That man in this verse no longer delights in serving God. He no longer finds joy in the joy of the Lord. His love for God is no longer driving his actions and his decisions. He no longer obeys and treasures Christ above all. Instead, he intentionally and deliberately and continually, the Bible says, does what's evil in the eyes of God. 
You remember when Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? How did Jesus respond? He said, the greatest commandment is this. It's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And then Jesus added, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So for you and I this morning, if we were to ask Jesus, what is the singular greatest commandment in all of the word of God? He would say the same thing he said to them. It's to love the Lord your God. Listen, church, if the greatest commandment is to love God, then what is the greatest evil? It's a failure to love God. Why? Because when I don't love God, I will not obey him. And when I don't live for, or when I don't love him, I will not live for his glory. When I don't love him, I'm not living the way he created me to live. I am avoiding and rejecting the very purpose that God created me for. Let me say it like this. The evidence of your love for God is found in who or what you are chasing. Did you hear that? The proof is in the pudding is basically what I just said. The evidence for your love for God, it's found in who or what you are chasing today. How many of you in here, and let's just be honest, how many of you in here today would say, I love God? Okay, most of us. Most of us. Let's, let's keep those hands up. How many of you would say that you love God? Okay, now you can put them down. I want to go back to my wife for just a second because I think this makes the point crystal clear to us all. I want you to imagine that I stood in front of you this morning, and I have, and I said to you, I love Kayla Brinson. I love her, okay? She's my wife, and I love her. But then Kayla comes up here, and she grabs the mic, and she says, I want to tell you a little bit about Trey's love for me. He rarely comes home. He mistreats me and disrespects me. I want you to hear some of the things that he said about me. Not only that, but he has two other women on the side. And she starts sharing reasons that I don't love her, really. Would you believe me still if even after she finished, she sat down and I said, I love my wife? You wouldn't. You'd be like, there's no way I can believe your words that are coming out of your mouth because the evidence is in the action that you're giving to her. Church, we can raise our hands confidently, all of us, and say, based on our lips and our gestures of our hand, we love God. Why is it then that we have so many other lovers that we're chasing? I want to be accepted and approved. I need more money so I can buy more stuff and have more material possession. I really don't care about that or this that the church is doing because I have this and this that I need to do. Why is it then that there are so many things in our very lives that are competing for the affection that belongs only to the Lord, our God? And why is it that it's so easy for us to surrender to those things rather than to the Lord? My question for you is really simple. Is even though you raised your hand this morning and said, Trey, I can say boldly and confidently this morning that I love God, do the actions of your life over the past week or two weeks or the past month, are they evidence that you really do love him? Or is there something there that we would say, you know what, that sounds to me like you have a little, 
affair going on with some, something else or someone else. I know that's pretty bold. But I want you to think about that because, see, when we don't love God we are, like we're created to do, we give that love to someone or something else. All of us do. We chase other lovers. So here's the big question this morning. Listen, what love is so seductive? What love is so powerful and so deceptive that it causes you to love someone or something else more than you love God? I mean, what is it for you? Is it a hobby or a sport or a relationship or approval or acceptance, material possession? What is it for you? What is it that is so seductive and so powerful and so deceptive that it causes you to love it more than it causes you to love God himself? I think I know the answer. The answer is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. This is what it says there. It says, Christ died for all, that those who live might not no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. There's one thing that replaces the love of God in our lives. You know what that one thing is? It's the love for self. It's the love for self. It's the very fact that we are men and women who do not like to be inconvenienced, even if it's God who inconveniences us. The point is I want to do things my way when I want to do them. I don't want anyone challenging my schedule or anyone challenging my thoughts or anyone challenging my decisions. I want to occupy the throne of my life and dictate and determine every decision I make. But at the same time, I don't want God to get so far that I can't grab him if I need him. I just need to keep you close, God. I just don't need you on the throne, God. That's what we say when we chase other Lovers, somehow we have become the center of our own universe. We occupy the throne that rightly, that he rightly deserves to occupy. We become obsessed with our own way. We want sovereign control over every decision in our lives. In other words, we want to rule. We want to reign. Do you realize this is exactly the problem that Adam and Eve fell into in the garden? I mean, think about how despicable that was. God put an entire planet together. And on this entire planet, he put man and woman in one singular garden. And he said, in this garden, you are free to move into Rome everywhere you would like to move in Rome. In fact, of all the fruit trees that are in this garden, I mean, you got a million. You can have, you can have a heyday. You can eat from any of them, pick from any of them. You can make tree houses in any of them. You can do whatever you want to do in this garden. The only thing you can't do, Adam and Eve, is you can't eat the fruit of the tree that's in the center of the garden. And guess where Adam and Eve chose to hang out most of their time? Right around the one tree that they can't eat from. And the enemy starts to creep up and he gives them a lie and they start to believe, oh man, God's good but he's holding something out on me? God's not letting me have everything? You mean to tell me he gave me every single square inch in this entire garden except for one thing? This one thing. And Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, and they chose to do things their own way. They wanted to occupy the throne of their own lives. By the way, eating this piece of fruit's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to hurt anybody. Well, it broke the heart of God, and sin entered the world. And now you and I are suffering from the consequence. I mean, if we're honest, now we all know that this was part of God's redemptive plan. He knew man was going to fall, and he already had a solution in his, in his son Jesus. We know that. But just think about the audacity of that. 
in this big old garden, there was one thing that they couldn't do, and they still chose to hang out there anyway. They were chasing other lovers. Their hearts were getting away from them. See, our love for self has replaced our love for God. We chase other lovers. We betray our purpose, which is to love God. But here's what's so beautiful about this text, okay? Now that we've seen the bad, let me show you the good. When we look at this text, we know God loves us. Why? Because his heart is broken by man's, by man's sin. The fact that God's heart breaks is evidence to us that God loves us even though he grieved that he created us. See, if you love someone and they betray your love and they set their love and affections on someone else, it should break your heart. The same thing is true like I said a moment ago. If I told you I love my wife and I set my affections on some other lady, that should break the heart of my wife. And the same thing is true if she were to set her affections on some other man. It should break my heart because I love her and she loves me. And here God is proving to be a God of marvelous love as he grieves at the betrayal of mankind. Our lives are intended to be a beautiful love relationship with our creator. And when we betray him, the Bible says he weeps. So how does God respond to this betrayal? Look at verse 7. It says, so the Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. Pay attention, for I am sorry that I have made them. These are very hard words to read. I'm sorry that I have made them. Listen, in an act of holy anger, righteous anger, God says, I have had enough. I've had enough. I'm the creator God who formed and fashioned you with my own hands. God said, I own you. You are a product of my own creation. I have established every single step that you have made. I have determined the trajectory of your lives. I have had enough. I've promised you joy and peace and every good thing that you would ever need. And this is how you treat me, God says. You turn your back on me. You betray me. Enough is enough. And he says, I'm going to wipe you off the face of the earth. You've been created to love and adore God. But we've chased other lovers. And the final thing this morning is this, which is where I said we needed to focus our attention. Our greatest need is the gift of God's grace. Aren't you glad the story doesn't end in verse 7? Look at verse 8. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In the middle of a situation that seems a bit hopeless, this verse provides us a little bit of hope. This is an act of God's amazing grace. He has given favor to Noah, and he's given favor to Noah's family. You know the story. By the grace of God, he would bring a flood and it would wipe everyone off the earth, but he did spare Noah, and he spared Noah's family. But when the flood fades and the earth dries, God makes a covenant with Noah, and God says this to Noah. He says, Noah, I'm going to bless you, and he adds, I'm going to bless all of your descendants. Well, you know when you walk through the genealogy that follows, there's one very familiar name that comes as a descendant of Noah. Who is that? It's Abraham. You remember the story of Abraham? Abraham's one of the descendants whom will be blessed. What was his story? 
Well, God makes a covenant with Abraham too. What he say? He says, not only, Abraham, will your descendants be blessed, but through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, who is through the seed of Abraham? Jesus. This is how the world's going to be blessed. It's through the sending of God's son as a descendant from Noah through Abraham. See, the only remedy to our broken relationship with God is for God to send his son His name is Jesus. Church, when you were created to love God, and when you were created to love God alone, you couldn't, and you didn't. You chased other lovers, but Jesus came into the world and did what you were incapable of doing. He perfectly obeyed. Every thought, every action, every motive, Every word, he perfectly obeyed. His love for the Father, and get this, church family, his love for you led him to die a death that was yours to die. It led him to satisfy fully the wrath of God by taking your sin and my sin on himself, even though he was guilty of nothing. He took my sin. He took your sin. And he hung upon the cross and paid the penalty for my sin. And he died that death on the cross. Church, that is an act of marvelous grace. And that today is the only hope that you and I have to be restored in proper fellowship with God. That's it. If Jesus is never born, then Jesus can't ever die. We celebrate Christmas because we know that the cross is coming. And it's through the cross that you and I are brought back into a relationship with God. So he died so our love for self could be defeated. And he died so your love for self would be replaced for a love for God. That's why he died. So that you don't have to no longer love you. You can start loving him. And by loving him, your joy will be made complete. Why? Listen. So that someday when he returns to call his children home, we would stand before him and on that day, every fiber of our being, our heart, our soul, and our mind will love him the way that he deserves to be loved. You see, church, there's really two responses to this great truth. One is some of you, for the very first time, recognize how deep God's love really is for you. And today, the greatest gift that you can give God is your own heart and your own life. And maybe today you've recognized that I don't have a relationship with God and I need to give my heart and my life to Jesus today. And if that is you, we would love to have a conversation with you. We would love to talk to you. There's a next steps area available outside. Let us know there. We're gonna have people up front. Our pastors will be up front. You can come and let us know. We would love to help you with that decision this morning. But for others of you, Today is a day that you recognize, you know what, I am the recipient of such great grace. And as I reflect on that reality of all that God has given me in the life of his son Jesus, today I get a chance to respond to that love and giving back to him a portion of what he's given to me. It never gets easier, church. Giving never gets easier. But when we keep our eyes set on Jesus, we see, or God, we see that he gave everything for us. Every breath, every drop of blood, everything for us. 
And the challenge to us as a church is really just this. Will we love and adore God in the same capacity that he has loved and adored us? Are we willing to put our yes on the table and say, God, I'm not going to hold anything back from you? This is bigger than a financial initiative. This is really about your heart. And it's about your heart being completely in love with Jesus. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to give you a chance right now to respond to the gospel. I know that some of you are still considering what it is that God might want you to do. Maybe today, as our pastors are coming forward, maybe today for you, today's the day for you to give your heart and your life to Jesus, to make him the Lord of your heart. Others of you, maybe today you've already been praying as a family and you've been considering what you're going to give above and beyond your regular tithe and offering. we got buckets up here. We would love for you as a church family to come. And just as a family, pray, drop that off, and listen. You can give throughout the month of December. Today's just the, the day that we're just going to honor and do it together as a family. If you're still praying through that, pray through that. We don't want you to feel obligated to do anything. And if you're a guest, by the way, we certainly don't want you to feel obligated to do anything. We're just glad you are here. But I'm going to ask you right now to go ahead and stand right where you are right where you are and I want you to think about how God would have you respond one maybe it's time for you to give your heart and life to Jesus maybe you're tired of avoiding it maybe you're tired of running from it maybe you're tired of asking the question what's wrong and God's made it crystal clear today you need to give your life to him if that's you in just a moment I'm going to pray when I say amen you can come forward and talk to these guys that are up front Maybe as a family, today you're coming to give a gift, and we want you to have that time to do that as well. Father God, we come to you this morning, and we pray that you'll move in a way that only you can. God, we want to love you. We want to adore you. We want you to be the king of our lives. And God, we're asking you to do just that. Remove the distractions. Remove the love for self. And help the affections of our heart be set on you. You deserve it, God. You're worthy of it, God. We're going to give you all the honor and praise for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
to 